Amen. Well, it's so good to have all of you here tonight on Disciples in the Making. We got uh, some new breed tonight coming up, new for us. Amen. To preach tonight, we've got three mighty men of God who are going to bring the word tonight. Amen. And uh, we believe, just like those signs say over there in evangelism, discipleship, and planning churches. And if you don't believe that we are doing that, today we said it was our first service in our East Metroplex new church amen and they had 17 people at that first service this morning isn't that awesome praise God so it has started and uh, God is going to do a great work over there Robert was there so if you want to ask him about it after service you can see how how it went and tell you how it went but uh, it was a good a good report amen so we're going to have three three men tonight James Matt and Brian are going to bring the word so uh, support them give them amens uh, love on them and uh, and help them, amen. So they, it's nerve wracking to get up here and preach, amen. But uh, we're excited about what God's doing. We don't ever tell them what to preach about; they just pray, and uh, you're going to see that God's going to speak through them to us, amen. So all of you that are visiting from uh, Brian's uh, basketball um, empire, <laughs> I kind of couldn't think of another word. It's good to have you tonight, and uh, it's good to have uh, his mom here. It's good to have. Uh, all of you back tonight, amen. So, is that um, that's Je- you know, it's Elena? That's your mom and mom's friend. It's good to have you tonight too, amen. Well, let's give uh, James a big hand as he comes tonight to get us started tonight. James Patterson, amen. He's going to bring the word tonight. Thank you. you don't mind I'd like to pray one more time father God we come before you and we ask that the words that come out of our mouths tonight father we glorify you that your will would be done we humble ourselves before you father and we ask and we praise these things in your name amen so the the word that's been on my heart for uh, about a month now is what does the Bible say everybody's got an opinion and you've got, a lot of people are entitled to their opinion. But you're not entitled to be wrong about the facts. Amen? So, if I ask you tonight, does Jesus love you? Yes, what most of us would say, right? I'd say maybe 90% of you out there. Some of you look a little unsure, but I understand. And then the next question would be, how do you know, right? You know, what, what clues have you discovered? Life experiences. And many of us grew up learning the famous song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, right? And even back in the day in public school, it was acceptable, at least the first verse, for kids to sing that. That was pretty commonly accepted. We all know it goes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Now, we know the chorus, but if you had the privilege to go to vacation Bible school, or, you know, you say you may have been brought up in church, or you had a godly mom or dad or grandparents. Kimberly questioned me on that earlier because she only knew the second verse. She didn't know the third and fourth one. Yeah, right? So the second verse goes, Jesus loves me, he who died, heaven's gates to open wide. He will wash away my sin, let his little child come in. A lot of us know that one. But then the third one goes, Jesus loves me, loves me still, when I'm very weak and ill. From his shining throne on high comes to watch me where I lie. And then the fourth verse goes, Jesus loves me, he will stay. 
close beside me all the way. He's prepared a home for me, and someday his face I'll see. Amen, right? Yeah, I kind of got a kick at that on the way here. Kimberly was reading my notes, and she goes, Dad, I don't know all these others. It's either amen or oh me, right? So how do we know this is true? Like I said earlier, not just a good song, not just a kid's song, not just something we were taught as we were growing up. And the answer is, plain and simple, the Bible says so. Amen? Plain and simple. Uh, the first verse that I'm going to go to tonight is John 3.16. You probably don't have to turn there. Everybody probably knows it. So much so that during the local Christmas parade that I got to work in, a, in, in Euless, they had a float. It was a flatbed trailer. They turned into an aircraft carrier. And it was labeled JN316. I'm like, I don't know that carrier group. It's not familiar. And then it kind of clicked, you know, John 316. And you'll see that at different sporting events and other places that it's out there just as like a little reminder for folks. But it goes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? And it starts off very simple. For God so loved, right? But then God kind of knows who we are, how we are, how we think. And if you'll forgive me, I did just realize I didn't set my timer. I'm already fired, right? So you go into verse 17. It says, For God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen? So many people had that lingering question, why would somebody do this? Why would somebody go that far and give that much? What's the catch, right? Many of us have been caught in those catches, those scams, and it's human nature, like, what's the rest of it? But that's the God factor. It's different. It's not the same. What God's been willing to do for us just blows our mind. Amen? So... If, if, if we start at the beginning of the Bible, everybody knows Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God. Amen? And it's plain and simple. It reminds you of I am, that little small verse in the Bible, right? And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And we all kind of know that was probably the big bang they're talking about, right? But if you ask them, you know, how the bang got there, they talk to you in circles and can't give you a real answer. Then if you jump into kind of the middle of the Bible... And there's a lot of confusion and frustration for some people because there's 31,102 verses. They don't believe that there's a middle of the Bible, right? So I don't doesn't really matter kind of where you sit on that. But kind of in the middle of the Bible, it says, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And then the next verse there in 118 verse 9, it says, it's better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in princes. And it's, it's, it's unique how it starts with God. In the middle, it's reminding you to trust in God. And it's pretty exciting when you get to the end there. In Revelations 22, verse 18 through 21, it says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. I don't know about you, but the first thing I think of is Egypt. The plagues. The plagues, the, they're the ones that is the, there's, there's no confusing on which ones, right? And of course, Revelations has its own little set of plagues that go along with that. 
But then it goes on to say that if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. Starts getting a little serious there, huh? And out of the holy city and from the things which are written in the book, which he testify these things, saith, Surely I come quickly, amen? Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you always, amen. And so that's kind of the simplicity of the gospel, right? God laid out the Bible so that it would comfort and yet challenge everyone who reads it. From the simplest, from the youngest, to those who are super geniuses, right? Like you, Philip, right? There you go. Just ask him, he'll tell you. So you can't leave God's word and not be changed. One of two things is going to happen. You're going to be drawn closer to God, or it's going to be one more step backwards as you're beginning to turn away. It's the book, the one and only book that you can read every time, and something's going to happen no matter what. We may not see it. We may not feel it. Doesn't matter. It's going to happen. Because it's a living word, right? So if the Bible's so simple, why is it so thick? Right? It's, it, it's funny I had this because I was talking to Donald about this, like I said, about a month ago. And then pastor pastor brings up this, hey, you want to share? I'm like, sure, why not? I already kind of knew what, what I had on my heart. So the Bible is very simple. There's a simpleness to the gospel. And we also know what's very complex. And then back at the same time, one single verse can change your life. You hear stories of Christians who had one verse or one page, and they read them over and over and over again. And that's what helped them survive captivities, daily life, and everything else. Because that one word was encouraging. So I can be talking to you tonight about what the Bible says. And it can, can be evicting this side over here for some sin they had. Not picking on you guys. You know, and over here on this side, well, yeah. Over here on this side, you know, it, it can be encouraging you. Yeah, amen. That's exactly what God's already been talking to me about. And then these guys over here can have something totally different, right? And it's not me. It's God. And it's God's word because it's alive. Amen. The fact is, a lot of us have questions, right? If God tells us to do something, we're not supposed to question it. We get up, we do it, it's done, amen? But, once again, the Bible's thick, right? And it's there to answer our questions. How many times have you been guilty of, hey, pastor, pray with me about this? And he's like, go read your Bible and see what God tells you. I'll be happy to pray with you. But he wants God to tell you exactly what you need to hear. It can't always come from here. Not that he can't pray with you. Not that he can't help you. But was it last week? It was about the relationship, the one-on-one. You know, you've got to get to that point where it's you and God, right? Where you have that revelation. So let me ask you another question. Is God good? Amen, right? Once again, we're back up to about 95%, just kind of looking across. Everybody raise their hand if you think God's good. Maybe 97, I was wrong. Okay, so God's good when you're in the hospital, amen? God's good when you're healthy. God's good when your children's homesick with the flu, right? 
and like half the school is, right? God's good when your children are happy and smiling. Like one of our new ones right over here, right? God's good when you get fired. God's good when you get a bonus. Amen? God's good when we receive miraculous healings. God's good when we don't get them. He's still good. And this is my favorite because he's good on Mondays and he's good on Fridays. Amen? God's good. He's good when you step or walk away from him. He's still good. And he's good when you get on your knees and come back to him. Amen? He's good when you have all afternoon to hang out with your friends. Amen? And he's good when you've, you've got the last 15 minutes just spend it with your dad. In my case, it was 18 years ago. Still hurts. But God's still good, amen? No matter what, he's still good. It's a blessing. Because he pulled me aside when I got home from work that night, about 10.30. And he wanted to share some stuff that was on his heart about some of our family. Little did I know the next morning he'd be going home to meet the Lord. And as the story goes, as he was on the operating table, he was telling the doctors about God's goodness. And then he says, I'm going, and he went. I believe he knew. And it's not just me. One of the last things Becky and Donald's dad ever told them was that God is good. It's a fact. We're, we're so blessed to have that experiential knowledge that makes it real to us, right? It changes our life. But even if we didn't have that, the Bible tells us he's good. And it's a fact. It doesn't change. Uh, you can jump to Psalms 118.1, and it simply says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercies endure forever. Amen. Many of us, like I said, know God's, God is good, because we've experienced it, we've tasted it. And you're like, taste scripture, really? The Bible says so. Psalms 34.8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Amen. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. You know, in other parts of the word, it talks about it being sweet as honey. You know? You know, it goes on there in Psalms 34, in the next verse it says, O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, 
because, you know, they're fighting that battle with the older lions for food, right? Survival of the fittest, as many have heard. But it says, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. It doesn't mean we're not going to have needs. But God's going to take care of us, amen? So we know it doesn't stop here. We've experienced God's goodness. The second chances, the new every morning blessings, the healings we've experienced, the answers we've received just at the right time for the right reason. Something Don's dad used to tell us too is God's never late, but he's seldom early. Amen? It's one of those things that just kind of sticks. And you know, we were talking about sayings last week. One of the older ladies in our church years and years ago used to say every tub has to stand on its own four feet. And it was one of the things we laughed about for years because the old tubs had four claw feet, right? They didn't just kind of slide in. And it was back to that personal relationship with God. It's between you and God. And you got to stand on your own, not just today, but tomorrow. But when you get to heaven, when you stand before God, whether it's there as you're about to enter heaven or he's about to escort you to hell one way, one way or another, right? And of course, I'm running out of time. But let me, let me, let me end with this. Everyone has an opinion like we said. They've got their right to it, but they don't have the right to be wrong about the facts. There was a Texas opinion poll that came out that said Texas is now one of the ten worst states. And it kind of caught my eye, and I'm like, have you been reading the same news that I've been reading? Because I've heard lots of good stuff about Texas. Not that we don't have our own set of problems. But as I dug in a little bit deeper, the complaint about Texas was half of its arrests are drug, illegal drug-related. And then the other complaint was Texas has laws against homosexuality on the books. And then laws that say you have to believe in a supreme being to take office in the House or Senate. It's like, that's kind of interesting. Laws that, it's been around forever, come to find out. Laws that practically eliminated abortion clinics or made it really hard for them to come in. Polls that even complain about the police was using an immigration station 85 miles from the border to catch illegal drug smugglers and users. Heaven forbid that, you know, they should catch people who are doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. So if this is their poll, the opinion that's out there, Texas is now one of the ten worst states, you've got to go back to the facts. You've got to find out which side of the law you're standing on and why you're complaining. Amen? So, and I say that to say this. Why should I read the Bible? Paul, why should you read the Bible? Chris? Donnie, you knew I was going to call your name, didn't you? So it, it, it's one of those things that, because we know we're supposed to, right? It's, pastor preaches it, you just kind of know, right? Just like you know, if you don't breathe, something's bad gonna, bad's going to happen. Amen? But if you go to Psalms 119, there in verse 10 and 11, it kind of sums it up. And it says, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Amen? We have kids that sing these songs. And it goes back to parents 
Talk to your children about this. Pass this down. And if we're doing our job, God's going to do his, amen? And he's going to take care of us. Thank you. Amen. Wasn't that a good word? Praise God. Awesome. Well, we're thankful for the Pattersons and the Edsons that came in. For anybody who doesn't know, they, we've kind of adopted them. We were blessed to be uh, their adopted church. Um, we're, we're, we all admire uh, the fact that they, at a very young age, all the kids lost their father, as he was talking about. And uh, at, at a, Matt, that's coming up, was only seven, I think. And so they're brothers, if you haven't figured that out yet. And uh, the younger brother's fixing to come. But we're, uh, we're blessed to have them in our church and, uh, and to have them part of what we're doing. And so we're going to give Matt a chance to see what the Lord's put on his heart. Amen. So give Matt a hand as he comes to preach the word. Amen. Thank you, sir. Just to reiterate what James has said, God is good. Amen. I'm going to start off in 1 Corinthians 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. But as you're, as you're turning there, and when you get there, say amen. I want to ask you a question. What kind of example are you? What can the world say about you and your Christian walk with God? Like Pastor asked, do we have enough evidence against us to be accused of being a Christian? It's, it's a serious question whenever, when, when you sit there and think about that Jesus Christ came to die for us. He gave his only life for us. And the gift that he gave us, what are we doing with it? Do we treasure it or do we make his grace cheap? Do we throw it on the ground and choose to do whatever we want to do, what makes us feel good, and then go back in prayer and say, Lord, forgive me? Or whenever the temptation comes, do we stop and say, Lord, help me fight this? So I want to read you two examples. Um, and the, the title, title of my message is, What Kind of Example Are You? Um, Edmund Burke said, Example is the school of mankind, and they will learn at no other. Billy Sunday said, To train a boy in the way he should go, you must first go yourself that way. Max Lucero said, To call yourself a child of God is one thing, to be called a child of God by those who catch your life, who watch your life, excuse me, is another thing altogether. So I want to look at two examples in, as James did, I forgot to start my timer. Um, Paul told Timothy not to despise his youth. When he was there preaching, teaching, he was a young preacher, but yet, and he was getting discouraged. But he said, be the example for them to follow. The ones that are older than him, the ones that are younger than him, set the standard and set the standard high. Because God, Christ Jesus set the standard for us to follow. And he said, do your best to be holy as I am holy. So we need to do our best to walk worthy of Christ's death each day. Um, in, I'm going to look at a bad example for us to follow and a good example for us to follow. Um, countless times through the Old Testament and through the, uh, the New Testament, God used the children of Israel as examples for their children to say, look, this is where they followed. This is the choices that they had. 
this is the things that they faced. This is what the decision that I gave them. I said, this is what you need to do. You need to follow me. Don't rebel against me. But it's your choice. God does not want robots. He wants us to follow him and to love him because we want to. And he wants us to love him because we love him. So in verse 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, it says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye would be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And ye were all baptized unto Moses and in the cloud and in the sea, and ye all eat the same spiritual meat. And it all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things, and they also lusted. Neither ye be idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day there three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh stand take heed, and lest he fall. There had no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able? But will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. So as Paul was telling the Corinthians there, what the children of Israel did was an example for us. For us to come to a situation and, and to take the time to stop and say, okay, Lord, what do I do here? To listen to the Holy Spirit, to listen to the, the, the Holy Spirit's instruction that the Holy Spirit will tell you, don't do this. This is going to be the consequence. And as James said, go back and read, and read the Bible. You will find an example in the Bible for every single situation that you will face in your life of what to do and then the consequences of it if you look. But you have to search and read and look, and look for it with all your heart. And if you're truly searching, God will show you. So because there are so many bad examples, I was thinking about it. I said, what is the best example for us to follow in our Christian walk? Who set the standard for us? And the one that set the standard for us is Christ Jesus himself. I was thinking about David and how we spent two years in the church that Don's dad pastored for us and that we, my whole family grew up in. We spent two years on David, on a Wednesday night, digging deep into David, reading and studying. And we did not even skim the surface of what the Bible offered for us to learn from David. But I realized I said, I don't want to just follow David. David was a good example for us, but I want to follow the example that Christ set for me. So I'm going to start in um, Luke 2, verses 40 through 49. And even from the time that Christ started here on the earth, through his birth, his whole plan, his whole mission was not to make himself happy not to build his, his business. Um, his worldly father was Joseph. He was a carpenter by trade. And no doubt Jesus was taught that trade. So Jesus, his desire was not to build that business, to get rich, to um, have employees or anything. 
in Luke 2, verses 40 through 49, when at 12 years old, he was in the temple. They had just gone through Passover. Joseph and Mary and their whole family left, thinking that Jesus was following behind them. But yet Jesus was back in the temple with the doctors, talking with them, asking them questions. And it even says that at that point, the doctors were amazed and astonished at his answers. They were amazed at the questions he was asking and the ability to understand the answers that they were giving him. But whenever Joseph and Mary came back, they asked him, why, did, why would you do this to us? What, what, what is wrong? What, what did we do to you? And Jesus answered them and goes, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? So at that point, even at 12 years old, Jesus was already setting an example for us to follow and that we need to be kingdom-minded and we need to be about our father's business. We don't have much time left in this world. And each and every day is a moment that passes that we could have taken an opportunity to reach out to someone and say, Jesus loves you. Today at Walmart, after church, I was checking out. I was talking with the cashier. Super nice lady. She was wearing a smile. Pretended everything was good. But as I started talking to her, she started breaking down. She goes, you know, there's just sometimes you can't worry about everybody else. You have to worry about just taking care of yourself. And just taking care of yourself can take more than 100% of all your effort. I said, yes, that's true. And as, as I was turning to walk away, she says, I hope you have a good day. I said, I will. And I said, you be blessed. And she started breaking down in tears. And she said, I need you to pray for me. I said, okay, let's pray. She goes, I don't need you to pray for me now. Just, I need you to pray for me. In your prayers, pray for me. I need healing. So for the, someone to come and at, get to the point to pray for healing, to ask for healing, means they already have the belief that God can touch them and heal them. They just need the actual touch of God. So I'm walking out, and I invited her to church, and I was hoping that, that she, would, she would be able to come tonight. But as I'm walking out, I'm praying and talking to the Lord about her. I said, Lord, she, she needs the laying on of hands, but you're so good. You don't need someone to go and touch her. You can touch her right there. Even there in line, there were six to seven people behind me. And she stopped and said, I need prayer. I need Jesus. And I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, this lady who doesn't know me at all is reaching out for Jesus. And we think and say that there's nobody out there that wants to know Christ. That there's no opportunity out there. That all they're going to say is no. But yet if we really truly take the time to ask, we'll find out that they're actually hungry. Whenever we go out to do outreach, God is preparing the souls already in before us. It's nothing of us that we are doing whenever we're going out and outreaching. It's all God's work. God's just using us as the tool in his hand to break the ground. It's just like whenever you get a shovel and you're digging. When you push that shovel into the ground, it's hard. But if the water's been sprinkled, if the ground has had water on it, the ground's easy to, to dig. As Don and I know, we, we were digging, unfortunately, and when it becomes too wet, it becomes more of a pain. But, um, but going back to the example is that the Holy Spirit goes ahead of us and fertilizes the ground for the word to be preached. And then they have the opportunity of saying yes or no to Christ. So moving on, because I'm running out of time very quick. Um, 
I had a lot of examples of what Jesus taught us to do. He taught us to be kingdom-minded people. He taught us not to think of our daily needs, but to think of what we need to do for, for him and what his business is. And he would provide each and everything that, that we would have need. One of the things that, that, that I want to take the time to look at is God taught, Jesus Christ himself taught us to pray. The disciples asked him, how do we pray? So in, um, uh, it's John, um, actually, that's not the right one, I'm sorry. Um, must have missed that one. It's Matthew 6, 6 through 13, excuse me. Jesus gives the example of the Lord's Prayer. He starts off with going through and saying, whenever you approach the throne room of God, you approach with reverence. You, you realize that you're approaching God Almighty, the heaven, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, in heaven himself, who in Psalms it says the earth is his footstool. So if you sit and think about God Almighty himself is so big that he uses the earth as his footstool, but that same God wants the same relationship with us. But then as reading and digging deep, uh, you realize whenever you take the time that with that relationship, he showed us exactly what we need to do to have that relationship. And in doing so, we are then setting the examples for those that follow after us. How many times are we said, set the example? How many times have our parents told us, set the example for others? When wherever we're going somewhere, when we're at work, when we're at school, set the example. We never know who's watching us, who in the world, what they're going through. But when they see us going through on Monday morning, when you go into work and your district manager calls you and tells you, um, in one hour, we're in, I need you to be on a conference call with our regional vice president, two vice presidents from other two lines of the business you're in. We need to discuss these, these reports. Like, I haven't prepared for that yet. I know, but I, I need you to be on that call, 930. Okay. But in that example, God was able to work through me to show them, even though I wasn't prepared for it, God still made me able. So going through looking at Matthew and even from the beginning to the end, it was time after time as I was seeing, Jesus was setting the example for us to follow. He taught us how to pray. He taught us how to be a servant. Um, one, of the one, one of the quick examples I want to look at is when Jesus washed the disciples' feet there in the, in, in the upper room. Jesus was about to go and die on the cross for our sins. But yet he took the time still to stop and show the, the disciples exactly what to do. He go, he, he, after they finished eating, he went and grabbed a bowl and a towel and went to go wash all of their feet. The very last one that he came to was Peter. Peter said, no, Lord, not my feet. You're not going to wash my feet. Then Jesus responded to him and said, then you will have no part in me. And Peter said, okay, here's my feet, here's my hands, here's my head, wash all of me. So he realized that Jesus was setting the example for him, and Jesus said, this I do that ye may also do. You do to those that follow after. He says the, 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 the king is no greater than the servant. So whenever we're doing something, we're not to do it for the recognition of it. We're, do it, we're doing it for Christ Jesus himself. Whenever we're preaching, whenever we're walking, if we're taking out the trash in the church, it is to be done for God, not so that when someone say, great job for taking out the trash. So as you're going through your daily walk, and I'm 
wrapping up here, even though I didn't get to touch much of it, that's okay. In wrapping up here, I was thinking to myself, what kind of example am I? What example did I set for those people at work? Whenever I leave my place of work, what are they going to say about me? Are they going to know that they can come to me and say, Matt, I know what you have. I want what you have. The old adage is a picture is worth more than a thousand words. So if we have to tell somebody that we're a Christian, we've already missed the mark and missed it greatly. We need to live, breathe, and walk Christ. We need to so emulate Christ that everybody that sees us doesn't see Matt. They don't see Don. They don't see Dwayne. They don't see Paul. They don't see Kristen. They see Jesus. They see the light shining in the dark where you can walk into a room and know that person's a Christian. What does that person have that I don't have and how can I get it? If you live your life that way, seeking to do Christ's will, you will find the opportunities popping up right and left to where you don't have time to even breathe. It's there right in front of you because you're doing the Father's business. You're doing what the Father did. From the foundations of the world, it talks about the determinate counsel. They already knew, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit already knew that Adam and Eve were going to fall. Way back in the beginning, they already knew, and Jesus said, I will go and die. For that reason, way back when, all the way through eternity, and I, I wanted to cover there where he was dying on, on, on the cross. And as I was sitting yesterday working on it, I was, I was at that part reading. Jesus had been with the Father, never been separated. In his, in, from eternity past all the way to the last three hours on the cross, he had never been separated from the Father. But the whole land turned black because God the Father had to turn away because Christ had my sins on the cross. Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? And I'm like, Lord, what have I done to you? The way that my life is right now, the way I'm walking, the way I'm living, is here for you. And I want to leave you with that thought. Be the example worthy of Christ's death every day. Amen. Amen. You know, if you don't believe for chance tonight in God, the, the just when you have three people come up and preach, it's proof God is real. Because we don't ever, that's the neat thing. I don't tell them, preach about this. Here's a topic. It'd be easy. They'd all have a topic to go off of. I just say, get alone, pray, and ask the Lord what God wants you to speak. And as you've seen already in these first two, and I know it's going to line up with third. I, don't, I didn't know what any of them were going to preach. But isn't it amazing how it just lines up? First one says, what does the Bible say? Second one says, the Bible says we should be an example. And it's just going to lead into the next one. And it's neat to see these young men getting up here and preaching. I'm, you know, Matt's younger than he looks. He's only 24. He just turned 24. And it's exciting to see how on fire he is for God. And he's not waiting to get older to serve God, but he's serving him now. Uh, Brian that's coming up is only 25. And uh, I, I, I like that and it excites me because when me and my wife were that age, we went to the mission field at 24. 
So it's exciting to see somebody saying, you know what, I'm not going to wait till I'm older to do it. I'm going to do this now. I'm going to take advantage of my youth and serve the Lord. Amen? So let's give Brian a hand as he comes up and finishes us off tonight. Amen? Amen. Well, church, I believe that God gave me a word to share with everyone tonight. So I know as believers, sometimes we can get in church and we hear a message and think, well, that's for that person over there. That's for this person over here. That's for the person not here. So today, I want you to turn to the person on your right and say, God has a message for you tonight. Turn to the person to your left and say, God has a message for you tonight. And if you don't have anyone to your left or to your right, point at yourself and say, God has a message for me tonight. Amen. All right, so if you're taking notes, the title of my message tonight is, I'd Rather Stand Alone Than Dishonor the Throne. Is anyone taking notes again? I'd Rather Stand Alone Than Dishonor the Throne. Amen. Well, it wasn't too long ago we had a men's discipleship Friday morning, and Pastor was telling us what it means to be a disciple. And the seriousness of that call of being a disciple of Christ. He was real direct that day. He said something that really stood out to me. He said, Jesus Christ was beaten to a pulp and died on the cross for our sins. And it got me to really think, because a lot of times we hear Christ died, and we sit there, yes, amen, amen, and continue on with our day. But sometimes we got to sit back and really think about what that really means when Christ died for our sins. You see, my mom's in the back, and I love her to death, but she did not die on the cross for my sins. I can't go to heaven by putting my faith and trust in her. Only Jesus Christ alone. Amen. So, church, when we hear things like that, we need to take it serious. If whenever, just like Matt was saying, Matt almost got emotional towards the end when he was talking about Christ died and what that means. And if that doesn't get to you every now and then, then it comes to a point in time where you need to examine yourself. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, I believe, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? unless indeed you are disqualified. So as believers, we shouldn't be disqualified. Before we get into the message, I'd like to say a quick prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you will just speak through each and every one of us. Speak to each and every one of us, Lord God. I pray that you will just arrest our minds and allow us to focus on you, Lord Jesus. I know you have a word for each and every one of us tonight. Lord God, I pray that at least one person will leave here Lord Jesus, closer to you and just accepting your word, Lord Jesus, and accept you as their Lord and Savior, Jesus. And I thank you for all that you do and all that you're about to do. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start with Daniel chapter 3. Say amen when you get there. All right, for those of you that don't know, I'll give you a quick summary of Daniel chapter 3. It's about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are three Jewish young men that were in charge of, a, of the affairs of the province of Babylon at the time. And the king of this time was King Nebuchadnezzar. 
and he created an image and wanted everyone to worship the image and worship his false gods. But you see, these three young Jewish men wouldn't do that. They wouldn't, they wouldn't deny their faith or deny God, no matter what they were faced with. So word got out that these three young men would not worship the idols, worship the false god, worship the image. So we're going to pick up in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not conform to the ways of the land, no matter what anyone else was doing, because they chose to serve God. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar could be an example of a boss, a supervisor, a teacher, anyone that we're faced with that wants us to conform to our ways and just to deny Christ. They might not outright say, hey, deny Jesus, but they'll put you in positions where you're basically doing that. And you see, these people were faced to the point of death and did not deny God. The king gave them one more opportunity to worship the image. If they did not, they would be placed in the fiery furnace. So we'll start in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And if he will deliver us from your hand, O king, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. You see, these young men did not waver in their face when they were faced with trial. They did not waver in their faith. They trusted God. The king got mad. He had his men heat the furnace seven times hotter than normal. He even had three of his appointed soldiers take the boys to the furnace, and they died on the way because it was so hot. We'll start in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Verse 25, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Just a quick nugget on that son of God. This is in the Old Testament. So for those out there that don't think Jesus Christ was there from the beginning, that's for you. (laughs) Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. You see, when we read these verses, Jesus went with them. When they're put through the fire, just like you'll go through the fire at work or the trials of life, they did not waver whatsoever. And we're called to stand up for our faith just like these young men. Also, by taking a stand, the three young men saw those around them get saved because when the king said, blessed the, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, others around it saw a miracle happen. So when you're faced with a tough situation and you don't waver and you don't do what everybody else is doing or you don't follow the crowd, you don't follow society, you stand up on your own because you have faith, 
God will go with you. And others will see that. Others will want to know, just like Matt was saying, what's that in you that makes you not waver when you're faced with trials? Is Jesus Christ. And others will see that and others will believe. We'll finish in Daniel 30. I mean, Daniel 3, verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. God will honor you all for taking a stand just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. And you will receive your blessing. You see, as Christians, we're called to stand apart. And it's crazy. Pastor was just saying, we don't talk about what we're going to preach on. And God just ordains it so everything just lines up. I told Pastor when Matt said, I don't want someone to to ask, am I a Christian? For a second, I said, Matt, did you see my notes? <laughs> but I have the same thing. And he's, he's very true. He's very right about that. You don't want people to ask that you're a Christian. I want people to see Christ in me. I don't want to be at work or in a situation when something goes bad and someone's like, well, is anyone a believer? Can anyone pray? And I say, I'll pray for you. And they're like, what? You're a Christian? <laughs> we don't want to be that person. We must stand apart. And there's also times, church, where I'll tell a couple of stories, not to brag on myself, though. So there's times where we talk to people, and we can't control what people are going to say. Someone tells you a story, and right before they're about to start cussing or something, they'll say, well, pardon my language or excuse me or something like that. That person doesn't just do that to everybody. That means there's something different about you to where he's not comfortable just being as free as possible. And, that, and there's also times where I play a lot of basketball, or at least I used to, and um, my friends will tell me, oh, man, at the gym, whatever, whatever day, and before I can even say anything, they'll say, oh, I know you weren't there. You're at, you're at church. You're always at church. But the same person who will joke and laugh with you saying you're always at church, when something comes up in their life, you'll be the first person that they're called. And going off on that, we can't control the company we keep. Sometimes you're at work. Sometimes you're facing a different situation, and people get to talking. And people say things which are ungodly. You could be at school. You could be wherever you may be at the time. And as Christians, we're not to partake in that. We're not even supposed to be around that. And I'll get into Ephesians 5. If I can find it. Here we go. Ephesians 5, verse 8. Say amen when you're there. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of the Spirit in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. This is the verse here, verse 12. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. So, there was a time where I was really dealing with that because me and Pastor will go to the gym sometimes, we'll play, and we can't control who's around. And there's times where people will, I'm in a group and I'm just sitting there and people will, will say something or try to tell a joke or talk about something. And I used to, ha, 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 not really listen like that. And the Lord really rebuked me on that because it's, it's shameful just to even be a part of it. So now it's gotten to the point where someone will say something and 
I kind of fight between these two things. Sometimes I'll, I'll look up and gradually just walk away out of the conversation. Sometimes I'm going to just act like, oh, someone's texting me, and I'll just leave. But for the younger groups in here, you guys go to school. I've been to school. Everyone in this place has been to middle school and things like that. You're going to be faced with situations where people will talk about things that aren't godly. And if you're not sure what ungodly means, it means anything that you wouldn't talk about here in this church or with your parents probably follows under the category of ungodly. So it's important that we stand apart. We can't follow the crowd. We can't follow the crowd. Even the Bible says that few are those that enter in the narrow gate. Not the crowd, not society. You see, society is at odds with us for our belief in Christ. If we go to John 15, you don't have to go there because I'm kind of short for time. Verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. The words of Jesus. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And if you don't believe that the world hates Christians, let me just give you a couple examples. Ben, if you can raise your hand. There's Ben in the back. There's two parents right in front of him. Ben's a good kid. They're from a God-fearing family, and his parents worship the Lord. But you see, Ben was at a middle school last year that I won't name the name of it, and they made all the students study Islam for a week. And they didn't, they studied other worldly religions, but that week of Christianity never came around. And it's not, it's not a coincidence. For those of you Roberts in here, Roberts a big everything Waco fan. So RG3, the quarterback for Baylor, former Heisman winner, back, now backup, I guess, for the Redskins. He, um, he went to a press conference and he had a shirt that says, no Jesus, no peace. And they forced him to wear it inside out at the press conference. These things aren't coincidences. There's um, the football player, Benjamin Watson, who wrote the open letter about the things going on in Ferguson. And he just basically said, at the end of the day, it's a sin issue. It's not has anything to do with race. It's a sin issue. So he gets on CNN, and he starts to say that, and everything's going good. And as soon as he brings up the gospel, the CNN lady goes, one second later, his screen goes blue. Oh, we lost him. Yeah, right. It's not, a, it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. And you see, church, let's not be so closed-minded that we think that the U.S. is the only place that has believers. There's believers, there's brothers and sisters in Christ in the Middle East who are dying for their faith daily because just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not going to denounce their faith in the face of death. They'll stand through that fiery furnace and put their lives on the line for Jesus Christ. And church, that's how we have to be. We have to get to that standpoint where we're willing to risk everything and put our faith in Christ. Because just like those three young men, God went with them, God provided, and God blessed them in the end. You see, church, the church today around the world is, is becoming more and more similar to the world. Just listen to this. I'm closing. If Jesus preached the same message as many churches today, he would not have been crucified. I'll say it again. If Jesus preached the same message as many churches today, he would not have been crucified. 
People would not want to kill Jesus if he preached a message that was not contrary to the world and society. Many times believers and church members are trying to fit in with society. Go ahead with the crowd when we're called to stand apart as believers. You're not going to crucify someone who fits in. There was something about Jesus that stood apart. So us as believers, we're called to stand apart. So whenever you're faced with a compromising situation at work, school, or wherever you're at, I just want you to think of this. I'd rather stand alone than dishonor the throne and trust Jesus. God bless you.